I'm Chance. And I'm Sarah Catherine. And this is Conservation Connection. Presented by Last Chance Endeavors. We are a husband and wife team running a wildlife education nonprofit. It's focused on connecting students to their environment. Each week, here on Conservation Connection, we do just that. Introducing you to the groundbreaking science and conservation work that's happening every day across the globe. We talk to professionals in the world of conservation science and wildlife management, and we ask them about their career, their current projects, their wild and crazy stories from the field, and everything in between. This episode is a collaboration with EarthX here in Dallas, Texas. EarthX is the largest Earth Day celebration in the world, and it brings in speakers from every corner of the environmental arena. Listen in to hear the stories of today's environmental titans, covering everything from environmental law, ocean health, renewable energy, clean transportation, and so much more. Let's get to the show. Welcome, everybody. Today, we're talking with Jerry Tignano. He is Denver's first and apparently only Chief Sustainability Officer. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. We're so excited to have you on the show today. So can you tell us a little bit more about your job as Chief Sustainability Officer? What what does that mean exactly? It means different things in different cities. Um, some cities have a huge sustainability office with a lot of people doing projects. Uh, but in Denver, we have a small office model because our mayor believes that sustainability should be the core business value of every agency and city government. So we are more like an in-house consulting firm. We work with all of the departments and agencies in our city government to help them make sustainability their core business value and to carry it out in the projects they do for the city. So we don't do the projects ourselves. We help them design and implement projects. We set the high-level goals. And then we communicate sustainability messaging to the city and to the world on behalf of the government of Denver. What I really love about that is that your job isn't to do all of the boots on the ground work. Your job is to get people to want to do that for themselves and to get them really invested and hooked into being sustainable in their own right, rather than having somebody come and say, here's how you need to be sustainable. Yeah, we, all of us, and I'm on my very small staff, and you, you were talking to one third of the Office of Sustainability oh, right wow. here, <laughs> but uh, all of us have done projects in the past, and we love doing projects, and we miss doing projects, but... This is a classic uh, issue of delegation. Uh, it's always easier to do something yourself in the short run, but in the long run, if you can teach other people to do it and you can delegate out to them, you'll magnify the results of what you're doing. So uh, we are trying to uh, teach sustainability theory and practice to our agencies, work with all of them, both the ones that everyone traditionally associates with this, like public works, you know, they pick up the trash, they run the roads but also agencies that people don't associate with sustainability, like the police or the fire department. And how long have you been in this position? About seven years. Okay. What is your background leading up to this? I always love to ask people as a kid, were you like, man, I really want to work in sustainability? I actually got uh, political as a kid, but wasn't focused on what we call sustainability these days. I went to college in Washington, D.C. because I wanted to work on Capitol Hill during college. But I got hooked up with a young freshman congressman there named Max Baucus from Montana. And he asked me to work on issues of what was then called alternative energy, solar, wind, forestry, agriculture, natural resources. And so uh, while working for him part-time during the 
during the school year and full-time during the summers, I just fell in love with those issues. So I stayed on there for law school. I worked for the Sierra Club Legal Defense Fund. I was a commercial trial attorney with a couple of big firms in Ohio for over 20 years. But I did this kind of work as a volunteer with the Sierra Club and other organizations. And after 23 years, I finally got a chance to do it full-time. Went to my second career. I was the state director for the National Audubon Society in Ohio for six years. Uh, and then I went to this career in urban sustainability, first as the director of the Center for Energy and Environment at the Mid-Ohio Regional Planning Commission. And then seven years ago, I was fortunate enough to be hired by the mayor of Denver to be that city's first chief sustainability officer. What a journey. That's fantastic. I want to zoom out a little bit. We're talking about sustainability, and that's a word that keeps coming up. And it's kind of a big buzzword in the environmental sector right now. If you had to define sustainability as it applies to you and your job, how would you define that for us? Officially, we don't define it. And the reason is that I came up through grassroots conservation. So I've spent many, many hours around coffee tables in people's living rooms trying to define which of us is the most noble. You know, <laughs> getting into these definitional debates, which are intellectually fun, but they don't accomplish anything. We don't define it, but we do ex explain what we're trying to accomplish. We are trying to ensure that the basic resources that our economy and our quality of life depend on are available and affordable, not the same thing, available and affordable to everyone, both today and tomorrow. But if I had to define it um, more specifically and really boil sustainability down to one word, the word would be mindfulness. People think it's energy or clean air or something like that. And those are all parts of it. But really, it's a process of being mindful about the world around you, the decisions you make, how your choices affect other people and so forth. And so if I boil it down to really one concept, it's really a process of mindfulness. Just being really conscious of the choices you're making and the impacts that those choices have on both today and tomorrow. Correct. Yeah. We always love to hear, especially when we speak to people who've been in this field for longer, the changes that they've seen and how they even talk to people who are older than them, who have been in the field even longer and kind of think back to, okay, where were we 50, 60, 70 years ago? And where are we now? You being in this position for seven years and in this field for even longer, what are some of those changes that you've seen over time? It's actually pretty simple. Um, I will tell you, I've been doing this since college. So 44 years now, uh, and this is the best time to be doing it in that entire 44 years. And the reason is that when I started in those early years, we had to beg people to, quote unquote, do the right thing. We had to say, you know, we know solar power is expensive and it'll cost you more. And, and we know it's hard to conserve water and so forth. But please, please, please do it because it's the right thing to do for the planet. And that was hard. It was hard to convince people. Fast forward 44 years, we don't have to beg anyone anymore. We just say, you want cheap energy? It's solar and wind. You know, you, you want to save food? Get out of the car. There's lots of options around here. Why spend, you know, seven to $9,000 a year on a car when you can get all the same services for a fraction of that and have the extra money to spend on yourself? So that is really the big change I've seen in my career. We don't have to beg anymore and we don't have to lecture and we don't have to make people feel guilty. We just have to show them the options that are out there right now and say, don't do it for us. Do it for yourself. Take the cheap, easy, convenient, enjoyable route. 
Well, we're really seeing that there's infrastructure now that supports that, that the right thing and the economically sensible thing to do are oftentimes the very same thing. You're spending less money by going the green route and it's better for you and it's better for the environment. And that's, I think, a pretty recent development. It's something that has is only now coming into kind of the mainstream from a business sense. Yeah. And it changed, what it changes for us is how we talk to the public. As I say, we don't beg anymore. But you also have to understand that a lot of people mentally are still in the past. It's locked into their mind that doing the sustainable thing is expensive, inconvenient, and so forth. Um, and so often we have to kind of convince people or go through the numbers with them. And sometimes when we're dealing with cities or states somewhere else and they tell us that their people who are in charge are still locked in the past and they want to have coal power and so forth, what we tell them today is that's great because that's one less city that we have to worry about competing with. You know, we try to remind people in other parts of the country and other parts of the world that we are competing with each other. We're competing on the basis of who is the most sustainable, not as not who is putting out the most pollution. And if they want to be left behind and stay mired in the past, that's their business, but they are going to be left behind. And so that, I think, has has brought a lot of um, actors who didn't used to work with us to the table and have become allies with us. I think that's a great way to put that because people in general were kind of very competition oriented. So you're like, oh, well, I can't let you be more sustainable than me. And that kind of pushes everybody to be like, oh, we have to do better because they're beating us on this point right now. Right. It's a social thing. People people want to keep up with their neighbors. Um, they don't want to be left behind. They don't want to be left out. And now these days doing the sustainability um, thing is the way you belong to the group, the way you um, keep up with your peers. So much of implementing environmental action is really just boils down to psychology and understanding how people receive an idea and integrate it into their own thought process and making sure that your idea is being presented in a way that someone's going to want to say, oh, yeah, I want to do that and make it feel like it's their idea, not in a manipulative way, but in a way that gives them the best chance to have a better life. And in Denver, as in other cities with sustainability offices, people often ask us, so what do you want us to do? What's our, you know, tell me what to do. And we have a simple three-part formula. It only has eight words. When, when they ask, we say, number one, save money, spend it here, do it together. And that's the entire formula because almost everything we want people to do in their personal lives and often in their business lives that will make the community more sustainable will save them money. So we say save money. But when you save money, we also want people to enjoy themselves. We want them to have a good life today. So we say, you know, spend it, but spend it here. Keep it in the community. Keep those dollars circulating here locally. Um, it's good for the local community. It also shortens supply lines so that we're not sending trucks and boats and planes everywhere to get things to people. And then finally, we say do it together because community is the ultimate um, renewable resource. It is a renewable resource, but it takes work and mindfulness to renew it. And so that's a very simple formula to guide people, no matter whether they're talking about energy or water or where they choose to live or how they choose to get around. Do it by saving money, spending it here and doing it together. Going back to your idea that community is a renewable resource. I love that community is sort of an integral part of your sustainability program because we live in a world that is so isolated with 
texting and, and social media where it's less common to connect face-to-face in person with people, uh, especially in your community basis. And that, I think, leads a lot of people to not thinking about how their actions affect the broader community. And when you encourage people to connect with their neighbors, to spend money locally so that you're growing your team, your city, your community, it makes people more mindful, more aware of how what they do affects their neighbors. And in the same way, how what their neighbors are doing affects them. And so everybody's working to have a better future together. And it also is just more enjoyable for people. I mean, I know some people are hermits and hermits like to shop on Amazon. But if you're not a hermit, and most people aren't, it's more fun to be out walking down um, streets in your neighborhood where there are stores and going store to store or picking things up at a farmer's market or engaging in other activities like that. It helps sustainability, but it's also just more enjoyable. It's more fun for, I mean, people are social animals. That's what they want to do. Absolutely. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think Chance and I both went to colleges that had farmer's markets on Saturdays. And anyone who has that within walking distance and has been able to enjoy that, I think would almost always choose that over going into like a supermarket or somewhere. It's so social. And typically, a lot of the times you're outside. And it's just fresh food. It's great. Yeah. And for thousands and thousands of years, people gathered together around food. I mean, this is so inbred to us as a species that we enjoy doing things like that. It's just the way, you know, we've always been. Yep. Now, I know that Denver has had some really awesome sustainability goals coming up for 2020. Can you tell us a little bit about what some of those goals are and what progress? You know, we're 2020 is approaching real fast. And, <laughs> right. and how's that been going? Uh, we set those goals in 2013. We set both goals for our city government, just as a government with the assets we control as a government, and then goals for the community where we couldn't control it. We would have to work with the community. We're doing very well on our government operations goals. We have met or will meet pretty much all of them. Community goals are a little harder. We've met some of them in terms of water conservation, for example. We've done a great job with that. We've already met that goal. We're just in maintenance mode right now. Um, others we've struggled with. Um, mobility is going to be a push. We wanted to get down to only 60% of people getting to work by driving alone. We're currently at 67.8. We are headed down. We just, as we're doing this recording this week, we just opened a new line of our light rail system. So we hope that that's going to take some people out of cars. But that's going to be a tough one. Um, I'm Pleased, though, that for the goal, which many might consider the most important, the reduction of our greenhouse gases as a community, we believe we are going to meet our goal of getting our community back down to the total emissions, not just per person, but total emissions that we had in 1990 by 2020, even wow. though our population has grown by about a third since then. Wow. And we've set other goals for the climate going all the way out to 2050. We, you know, fingers crossed, we believe we're on track to meet all of them. Thanks in large part to the fact that we are served by a very, very progressive public utility company called Excel Energy, which is way ahead of everyone else. And they, they have pledged to try to be uh, carbon neutral in their electricity by 2050, and they are already projecting that by 2026, they will be 55% renewable for their electricity in Denver with no increase in rates between now and then. Wow. So when you've got a partner like that, it's pretty easy to meet these goals. That's pretty fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. 
if someone were to ask you, what could I do in my day-to-day life to help the environment, help to meet these sustainability goals, what would you have to say to them? You know, I've already talked about save money, spend it here, do it together. But I would add to them that that formula is different for every individual person. You know, it's funny when you are a chief sustainability officer and you go to a party and you tell people what you do, they start confessing to you. You know, the conversation, you you say, well, I'm a chief sustainability officer. And they say, well, I do drive to work, but I have a Prius, you know, and they're expecting me to, I don't know, bless them or whatever. And what I always tell them is, look, it's different for different people. Some people, for various reasons, they have to drive to work. And so they can make it up somewhere else. They can save energy in their home or they can buy local food uh, or they can conserve water or they can recycle, whatever. I think the formula for each of us is different. And so it goes back to what I talked about earlier, mindfulness. Whatever it is you do, whatever path you choose, it starts with thinking about being aware of the world around you, being the aware of the effects that what that your choices have on that world, and then being mindful about making those choices. And different people will come out with different results. I really like that because it takes into account every individual's needs. And I think that's something that environmentalism traditionally has not had. It's just a lot of don'ts. Don't do this. Don't use that. Don't be a part of this without taking into account that people have personal needs. And if that's the only way they can accomplish that need, it's not sustainable to say you cannot do the thing that you need to do. But if you're aware of its effects and you are doing the best you can to mitigate that, that's where you get people to work with you instead of just clamming up. Well, and it's not just about needs. It's also about your personal circumstances. You know, for example, yes, we would like people to take transit to work rather than driving by themselves. But lower income people often are working second and third shifts when the transit doesn't run very often. And if they miss the bus, it can be an hour until the next bus comes in the middle of the night. And so for people like that, it may be that they need to drive to work, um, but they'll have other opportunities uh, to make up for it. And so we, we need to be aware not only of people's needs, but also their personal circumstances and just have some understanding of, you know, the lives that everyone is living and the barriers that they have to overcome. If you wanted to give just a quick spotlight on one of your favorite accomplishments that the city of Denver has had in the realm of of sustainability in your tenure, what would you want people to know about? When we studied our greenhouse gas emissions, we knew that over half of them are related to our use and occupancy of buildings. So we started there. And we had heard that if building owners are required to disclose their, their energy usage, just by doing that alone, you could see about a 1% to 2% uh, improvement in their energy efficiency. So we passed an ordinance that requires all buildings 25,000 square feet or more to report their energy consumption, to have a score attached to it, and we disclose that publicly. As I said, where that's been tried before, 1% to 2% gain. But when we tried it in Denver, because we were very aggressive about going out and educating the owners, First year, we had a 4.5% increase in energy efficiency, and those buildings collectively saved $13.5 million wow. in energy costs. And we didn't stop there. We adopted a new build, green building policy. We put that into law, which will require not just disclosure, but now improvements, things like white roofs, green roofs, solar on the roof, green infrastructure on the ground, and so forth, which we think will accelerate that process. So 
We're really proud of that because we went for something big and we executed it well and we produced numbers that no other city produced. And the culmination of all of this is shortly before we recorded this broadcast. Denver was certified by the U.S. Green Building Council as lead platinum in their Lead for Cities program, the highest level of sustainability. Only five cities in the United States have met it. So we think we're doing something right in Denver, and I guess the at least the U.S. Green Building Council agrees. Well, congratulations. Those are Thanks. some massive leaps you guys have been able to make. Absolutely. And thank you so much for being on the show with us today. I think we'll be looking at making a trip out to Denver sometime sure. soon. 100%. We would be happy to have you. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Conservation Connection. If you enjoyed our podcast, go ahead and subscribe to make sure you catch every episode that we post. We'd love to hear from you. So if you want to reach out, go to our website, lastchanceendeavors.com backslash contact and shoot us an email. We love questions from our listeners. So if you heard something that you want to know more about, be sure to let us know. If you've got a minute to spare, leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts will help other conservation-minded people find the show. We'd really appreciate it. A big thanks to the people working to protect our planet, and a big thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to tune in next week.